In a new age world filled with delusions and wish fulfillment by morons in need of attention, renowned experiencers of high strangeness and podcasters Jeffrey Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney received invitations to a tropical paradise getaway called Paratopia. Little did they know, it was the same type of new age spiritual retreat they've been avoiding all their lives. Paratopia, you have been following this saga, and uh, you're, you're about to be paid off for it. Emma Woods has actually agreed to come on this program. Wow. My God. Yes. So let's find out everything we can about her, and then delve into the Jacobs stuff, and then see where she is now with it. Um, Emma, first of all, thank you so much for coming out of hiding to do this show. That really means a lot to us. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. And don't be nervous. Yes. <laughs> yes. Just so everyone knows, this was uh, this is not her first choice uh, doing, doing any sort of interview. Um, well, let's get your background. Now, uh, start us off here. When did your abduction-type experiences happen? Um... And do you classify them as abduction experiences? Um, I classify them as anomalous experiences. Um, they started as far back as my my memory goes, which was sort of early childhood. Um, and the first, probably the first experience I had, which really would fit the abduction type, although I don't know what is behind it, would be when I was sort of in probably between about the age of five and nine, and I used to see this little short being sometimes, and I had very fragmentary memories of it, but it was about like four foot tall and, and had something brown on it. And I, I, for years I couldn't remember whether it was brown fur or brown skin or brown clothes, um, and I couldn't remember its face for a long time. Um, but it was, it was just sort of there in my, in my memory. And there, there was another child at the time who also saw it, and I actually spoke to her as an adult um, when I started recording my experiences, and I didn't tell her what <clears throat> my memory of him was, and she, I just asked her to describe him, um, and she said that she remembered him at, at about the same height, and that she said he had a brown, like a coat or a cloak um, that he was wearing, and she could remember like the brown blankety fabric of it. That really kind of shocked me because it was very similar to my memory, and I hadn't told her. And also, I was interested that I sort of remember, I couldn't work out whether it was clothes or fur or skin, and I was just wondering whether you know the, the blankety fabric was where my memory was becoming a little bit fa- and a bit fuzzy. And then after I'd sort of been talking to her about that, and I'd also been talking to my parents. 
um, and asking them because I talked to them when I was a kid about it and I'd sort of done interviews with him and recorded it and so on. And then I started to get memories of his face and these very powerful eyes reaching across the room looking at me. Um, and I'd been quite scared and he came over and then I wasn't scared anymore. And then I started to remember seeing him with like a brown hood over his head. But that was later and I already knew about the phenomenon, the abduction phenomenon by then. So whether that, you know, impacted on my memory or not, but my real original memory was of this very sort of short being with something brown on on him. So that's probably the first, you know, classic abduction phenomenon was, type experience. But what what was he? When you say being, would you say human? Would you say no, like the little grey things that we see on TV, like something else? I remember him as having um, a humanoid shape, and I can remember. The, the main sort of memory I have of him is seeing him standing. I, was, we ha, I had a bunk bed and I was on the top bunk and I'm seeing him standing in my room. And it's had that sort of flashing memory of seeing him standing in, in the room. And he wasn't human. And I still can't remember his face in that memory, although I do have separate memory of his face. But I knew he wasn't human. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had a sort of humanoid form. Um, was the, and, the, the cloak or the hooded thing, that garment that he was wearing? Mm-hmm. Um, was it like clothing like you and I would wear, or was there anything peculiar about it? Well, the memory that I have of him from when I was a child, I could see his legs. So it, it, he must have had some kind of suit on or something. But the other sort of memories that I've had is like a hood going over his head. So, yeah, they're very fragmentary memories, so I don't sort of have a lot of continuity. I've also had a lot of hypnosis on it, so... Um, I do have a lot of hypnotic memories which sort of extend out, so I'm sort of trying to sort of push them away. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. And then what are your next natural memories uh, that you would qualify in as a strange experience? Um, I had quite a lot of strange experiences. I think the one that really, where I really realized that there was something really different in my life was when I was 16, and I woke up um, in the middle of the night, and there was a... A, a, a tall person standing next to my bed and he had a long dark robe and a hood on and I was completely paralyzed and he was communicating with me telepathically and he gave me um, a key, a metal key and I didn't want to take it and I was, I was sort of struggling because I didn't want to take it and then he sort of put images in my mind that I had to take it um, and he, he told me that um, at some point in my, in my life I was going to be in danger. He gave me a sort of image when I didn't want to take it and saying that I would need it to save my life, that I'd be in danger and I'd be in a courtyard and I'd have to use the key to open the door. And I had a sort of sense that it was an image to try and convince me to take it. And then I sort of felt that he put me to sleep. And then when I woke up in the morning, there was a key on my pillow. Um, and I actually had the key for a, a few years on my key ring. So that... What happened um, to it? It just disappeared one day. It was just gone. Did it look like a um, regular old key, or what, what did it look like? Um, no, it didn't. It, it, it looked like a key, and it had a hole for a key, you know, a key ring and stuff, mm-hmm. but it was completely flat. It was incredibly light metal. It looked like aluminium, um, but I, when you held it in your hand, it almost had no weight whatsoever, and it was completely flat. It looked like it had been, like, stamped out of a, a sheet of thin metal. Mm-hmm. Um um, yeah. Did did you ever come into an experience where you would need that key? 
in a courtyard? No, no. Do you see it as a metaphorical sort of play that took place, or do you think that that had a literal... I have no idea. I have thought of every possibility, because I didn't even know about the phenomenon, the abduction phenomenon at that time. I had no idea what it could possibly be, Um, and I thought of everything. You know, somebody played a practical joke, whether it was a ghost. Well, what did your friends Um, and family say when you were like, Henny gave me this key, and then you had a key? Yeah. (laughs) Um... Um, my, I won't talk about, oh, I did tell members of my family, but I won't, I think they probably would prefer if I didn't say it, so I might not go into that. Okay. Um, I did, yeah. That's fine. Yeah, yeah and anything you don't want to talk yeah. about, just feel free to tell us and that's fine. Yeah, sorry, I'm just, yeah. That's okay. Yeah. And as far as just normal childhood stuff, I mean, how was it growing up? Yeah. Was it, uh, good parents, abusive, um... um I had quite a traditional childhood up until the age of about 12. My parents were married. My mum was at home. Um, We had quite a normal life. And then when I was 12, my parents got divorced um, and my mother eventually remarried. And at that point, um, my life became quite unconventional. Um, I actually refused to go to school. I just had enough of it and had a big battle with my parents. And... I actually ended up going to live, I left home, left school, and I went to live in a commune for the rest, up until the age of 16, um, and I just worked from communes and just worked for my living, and I didn't go to school or anything like that. So I had a half-conventional childhood and a half-very-unconventional childhood. When you say commune, are we talking a cult, or, or what are we talking about? Um, no, it was just as they were into subsistence farming and organic farming, um, and it was... I was, because I was a teenager, I wasn't really, um, I don't know a lot about what went on with the sort of adult dynamics. I just had my my area where I lived and I just worked and then I sort of hung around with the children and I interacted with everybody. So, um, yeah, I don't know quite what all the dynamics were with the adults, but I don't think, it wasn't a cult. Maybe I missed this part. Your your parents sent you there or you moved there with your parents? Well, I was a... um, they were my mother. They were friends of my mother's, so I. That's how I knew them. <laughs> like, were you home. running away from home? I mean, how old were you when you? No, I wasn't running away from home. No, no, no. Okay. It was an arrangement. Yeah. So instead of going to school, you went to a commune. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was, so, at what point did you start to piece this together in terms of the abduction phenomenon and and all of that? Um, it was when I was in my thirties. I was reading a magazine, um, and they had an article with a list of indicators of, you know, are you an abductee? And at that point, I was like, oh, you know, I, re- I you know, I really realised that my experience would actually fit that pattern. Mm-hmm. It was quite a shock. Um, and I couldn't really deal with it at that time, and I actually but I cut it out and I kept it in my di- I cut the page out and I kept it in my diary for a while. And I think I was just sort of like getting used to, <laughs> used to the idea of it, um, but I didn't really think a lot about it. But I just had it there in the back of my mind. But I think that's the point where I really sort of realised. Oh, I do actually, these experiences do actually fit the pattern. Mm-hmm. And then what did you do about it? Did you seek out therapy um, or tell friends? Well, I had actually, I had um, been, been seeing a therapist and I had talked to him about some of my experiences. But then um, in 2001, I, I sort of reached a, a crisis point with my experience. I sort of, 
I've dealt with them by um, repressing them because I'm not religious and I'm not new age and I don't really have a way of dealing with them in my life. So I just repressed them. I didn't think about them and so on, but couldn't keep doing it. Um, and so I, I had a bit of a, a personal crisis over it and my therapist suggested that I... Um, I decided that I was actually going to face them and deal with them, and I suggested that I keep a record of them as they happened, and also write a history of them, mm-hmm. so that I could understand them. Um, and that's and I started doing that, and, and I am quite interested in. I have a sort of a natural tendency to be interested in sort of research, so mm-hmm. it kind of developed. I started to, to sort of think of ways to test it, and I started to think of data that I could collect to correlate with them and see what, you know, what kind of it is. So I just sort of developed from there. Well, how many, uh, approximately how many experiences did you have um, prior to hypnosis um, between you and maybe your, your family? How many remember? experiences? Yeah, I mean, how many incidents or bits of memory do you, do you have? Oh, lots, lots, heaps, too many to remember, lots. Okay, um, so the two that we were talking about, the, that wasn't just it. I just want listeners no, to get a sense no. that, yes, we only talked about yeah. two, but there was a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, so, okay, yeah. so at what point then does your therapist say, uh, get in touch with David Jacobs? Um, well, he didn't really know. He, he, I started sharing with him you know, the record that I was keeping, and he became quite intrigued by it, and he felt that there was... Um, something real there that he didn't understand and that um, our society doesn't understand and he didn't really know how to deal with it and um, David had a um, page on his website for therapists and he sort of said that he would provide information to therapists to help them deal with um, you know, clients who had these sorts of experiences. So my therapist actually emailed him um, and he asked him for advice in, in dealing with my case and um, David responded to him and sent him some material and he told him that he had helped many therapists around the world, I think it was in the UK and, and various places with their clients um, and he presented himself as, as very knowledgeable and my therapist shared that with me and yeah, we both were quite relieved you know, mm-hmm. that we had this person um, knowledgeable person who could help. Um, so that's how I made contact. And how did your relationship um, start out? How did it evolve? And then what happened? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I made contact with David um, soon after he got back in touch with my therapist. And he gave me his home phone number and we started to communicate with each other by phone and email and he was very interested in the uh, the record that I was giving of my experiences um, and I sent him some material and we kept in touch for a couple of years and he gave me a lot of advice on um, things I could think about recording like dreams and in 2004 I did a one year <clears throat> very detailed record of my experiences and I also collected some physiological data to correlate with it. Um, a lot of the things I did was uh, I took a pregnancy test once a month because of the theory that you know, um, people are being impregnated with hybrid fetuses and so on. And I thought, well, I'm going to do a pregnancy test once a month. And Dave was you know, taking all the pregnancy tests from America and things like that. So he was very helpful and talked to me quite a bit about 
gave a lot of input on it. So, yeah, at that time he was somebody who was very supportive and very helpful and went through there. And then at the end of 2004, he suggested to me that he should do hypnosis with me over the phone. And by that stage, I'd been in contact, I'd made contact with him in mid 2002. So I'd been in contact with him for, um, you know, quite a while. And I thought, you know, I had a very good opinion of him at that time and trusted him. And How did um, hypnosis over the phone, were you skeptical of that working or did you think that was a good no, idea? Yeah, I thought because he came across as so knowledgeable and he presented himself very well and he was a, a professor at Temple University and he, yeah, he just... Um, I, I was just convinced that it would be safe to do it, and um, I was going to be a research subject of Temple University's, um, and um, it was part of scholarly research. And Before you did uh, hypnosis with him in your discussions yeah. about this stuff, did yeah. he um, talk about this in terms of his own theory about there being a threat from aliens, um, you know, hybrids and all that sort of stuff? I mean, was that in the air Not before really. hypnosis? Not really. He didn't know. He he I had read his books by then, so I did have an idea of his theories. But and I I, I Did you agree with him? Did did you think they sounded reasonable? I I d I didn't really have a theory. I was quite agnostic and so I just saw it as a theory. And I just thought it was interesting. I, I thought that he had a lot of knowledge about the phenomenon because he was in contact with so many abductees. Um, and regardless of what the cause of, of what's behind it, that he would be getting a lot of knowledge about the actual experiences. So I kind of separated out his theory about what, what it was um, from his knowledge of um, what he told me about, what he knew about people's actual experiences. So I kind of viewed it that way. Yeah, I didn't really take his theories on board as, as something that I believed in. Okay. Now, when he would do hypnosis uh, and you started to... Do, well, let me ask you, did you start to recall more than what you could remember without hypnosis? Oh, um, absolutely. Phenomenal. It was just phenomenal. Um, a, whole, a whole other life um, just came out of it. Um, I did... Over about two years, he did 37 hypnosis sessions with me, and they were on average about five hours long. So it was about 180 to 190 hours of hypnosis, and that's a lot of hypnosis. And I remembered, and I think I was a very good subject. I think I'm very hypnotizable. And I, 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 this whole other life um, came out. Um, he, he looked, he did, he did hypnosis on events all through my life. I think the youngest was when I was about five or six, right up until that time. So I, my whole life was, he did 91 hypnotic regressions with me in those 37 sessions, so that's 91 events in my life, where I had an entire um, new experience woven in, and it stayed as all through my life. This whole other life appeared. For me. And did it um, um, was it indistinguishable from normal memory, or did you, uh, mm-hmm. especially early on? I know toward the end you, you got suspicious, obviously, but early on, mm-hmm. did you feel like you were confabulating anything, or did you, or did it just feel natural, like memory was bubbling to the surface? 
and felt natural. I, I, was, I did um, worry a lot about whether I was confabulating, and I'd often ask him and say, do you think this was confabulation? Do you think that was confabulation? Um, and he said that he thought that my memories are very accurate, um, and he generally believed that a couple of times he'd say that might have been um, confabulated or, or something, but generally he accepted all my memories as, as real. And at that point, I didn't understand the effect that the hypnosis was having on me because I I had a false sense of security when I was hypnotized because I could think and I could speak to him and I could I could assess things to a degree while I was under hypnosis, but I didn't have the same... Um, the same critical abilities that I do when I was conscious in my normal conscious memory, and I didn't know that at the time. And it's only um, very recently when I've listened to all the sessions one after the other, um, and I've just been absolutely amazed um, to hear myself, and I had no critical analysis or awareness of what was going on at all. But it's actually it's blatant, <laughs> you know. But I've got so much distance now between that time when I was being hypnotised. It's so clear what was happening, and I had no awareness of it. And um, in my conscious state, I would have immediately seen it. So I had a sort of false sense of security that I was in control. But um, there was a lot going on for me subconsciously and subliminally that I just I had no I, I wasn't in control. And so it, it, it did. It had a, a major effect on me. Being hypnotized that much, did it did it spill over into normal life? Would you find yourself just sort of walking down the street and suddenly in a hypnotic state, or did you keep them separate? Yeah. I I had a um, what David called bubble up effects, which is where I'd have if I remember something under hypnosis, I would have ongoing memories about that event coming to me for a period or they'd, they'd come to me when I after the hypnosis session and he said that was quite normal and he said that was sort of a bubble up effect. Yeah, whether that is the case, I don't know, but um, I found that a bit disconcerting at times, but um, I just sort of accepted that that was normal. And as you were going along, did uh, did it feel therapeutic? Were you feeling more relieved with what you were uh, recalling or was it causing mm-hmm. you more stress? It caused me an enormous amount of stress, but I didn't... So what was I it for you? Really... I mean, as, as sort of the, the woman who wants help for these memories mm-hmm. or wants to, to know what's going on, would, would you say that overall you wish you hadn't opened that can of worms? <laughs> I wish I'd never done it. <laughs> it's a terrible mistake. Yeah, I wish I'd never done it. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, and so at what point did you have this falling out? At what point did you start to get suspicious of uh, whatever was going on um, in terms of these memories? Um, I mean, we've heard a lot about the IMs from hybrids. Was it that point mm-hmm. where he started getting these instant messages from alleged hybrids, or was there anything before that? What what led up to um, that? Well, that was the hypnosis. I, I didn't really understand how much I'd confabulated my memories until quite a bit after I'd ended my work with David. So that was slightly separate from the IMs. And it was it, it's actually been a very long process for me to, to unravel the hypnosis side of it. And I really only fully grasped the extent of it probably in the last 
six months when I've been um, going through these tapes, which I, you know, I've had to do now because I'm taking action about what happened and I'm having to go through and analyse it all. And it's really only recently that I've realised the, the full extent of it and realised things that he did to me, like putting the hypnotic suggestions in my mind that I had um, MPD, which I had no memory of whatsoever. Well, wait a second. When you say that you're just realizing that now, didn't w- mm-hmm. was there not an agreement beforehand that he would be doing that to protect himself no. as a tactic? No, no. He didn't tell me anything beforehand. No. I had no idea that he was going to do that. To tell you beforehand, of course, would <laughs> would defeat the purpose, would it not? <laughs> um, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So at what point did you... Uh, okay, so... It, hmm, I don't even know where to begin with this now. If he is implanting a suggestion that you have multiple personality disorder, do you know as he's telling you this under hypnosis that this is wrong? Or, I mean, what are the effects of that on you when you wake up? Do you feel that you have multiple um, personality disorder all of a sudden? What what happens? When he, when he was doing it, I knew that he was intending it for the hybrids because he had told me that he had just started having instant messaging conversations with um, hybrids on Elizabeth's computer, from Elizabeth's computer, and he told me that he had pretended to them that he was a debunker who was investigating, who was um, a, a researcher on multiple personality disorder, and that he pretended that Elizabeth had NPD. Um, so I, when he when he started putting the suggestions in my mind, I, I knew that's why he was doing it, but it it, it did. So I had that sort of dual reaction to it. And after he brought me out of the state, he kept reinforcing to me that I must keep it in my mind and also that I must think that he lived in New York rather than in Pennsylvania um, so that they couldn't, you know, that they, they wouldn't know where he was, basically. And I tried to deal with it by sort of brushing it off and making light of it and so on. But I did feel... It did shake me up, and I was quite scared. Well, let, before we get into that, let, let's take a step back here. How did he get to hybrid IMs on Elizabeth's computer that would affect his research with you? I mean, what what, um, what led up to that? What was that about? I don't actually know. Um, I, it's, it, it's something that happened a lot with my work with David, is that he would tell me things that were going on with Elizabeth, like they were writing emails and code. And, and just so people and know, Elizabeth is an, a pseudonym of this other woman who is also yeah. an experiencer, and yeah. and what is else yeah. is her relationship? Webmaster for David? Webmaster for you? What was her relationship with um, you? She was um, his research subject, and she was also his webmaster, and she didn't um, have any direct relationship with me. But earlier that year, in early 2006, he had suggested that he should publish my record of my experiences on his website, which he did for a period in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, and because she was his webmaster, she, I, I wrote the material up and then David edited it and then she formatted it and put it onto his website. Mm-hmm. So then we became in communication. So that was a sort of how, I, how she became involved in... in my, my um, work with David. Now, unless I'm mistaken, on one of those tapes that we listened to, he does talk about uh, you having agreed to these tactics, and you don't seem to deny it. Um, mm. it were there other tactics that you did agree to, or am I misremembering that? Um, yeah, he asked me to write my emails to him, pretending I had multiple personality disorder. Was that before or after he implanted the suggestion? 
I think it was after, but I can't remember. Sorry, I just I have an enormous amount of material which I'm preparing, right. um, and I haven't got to that stage yet. It was around that time. I think it was after. It would have been after, I think, because I think his MPD tactics started when he started having the IMs. But yeah, and I, and I agreed to do it, and I did it, and I was. See, this is the I part. Was, this is the part that that bothers me. Uh, mm. If he's getting. Instant messages from Elizabeth's computer. Were you not at all skeptical of that? Were you not saying, whoa, whoa, whoa? Uh, how about checking um, out that Elizabeth gal? But when he first, when he first told it to me, I was, my gut initial reaction was I was skeptical. Um, and then very quickly, I kind of short-circuited that skepticism. And it was partly because I trusted her and I trusted him. And um, also because by that stage I'd been through hours and hours and hours of hypnosis and I was very psychologically caught in, in a whole sort of world view and experience of my own, which I, I wasn't assessing my own um, situation critically mm-hmm. at that stage. Um, and so the whole thing, and he talked to me while I was under hypnosis about the stuff that was going on with Elizabeth. So it, what I was what I was getting about that whole situation, it was either in the conversation just before or after I was hypnotized or while I was hypnotized, and it was all happening at the same time <clears throat> that I was being hypnotized about my own experiences. And so my, my critical faculties just weren't operating normally in the way that they would have been normally. And were, um, were, was what you were pulling up from hypnosis uh, compatible? With what was coming through those uh, those instant messages? Yes, to a degree. Um, he had built earlier in 2005. He had built up a picture for me under hypnosis of hybrids being very threatening and aggressive towards abductees, um, and or he'd also told me that he'd been receiving threats from Elizabeth's hybrids. Um, because but is that what you were, remembered in any of your experiences? Yeah, and then I, 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 after a while, when he sort of talked to me a lot about this while I was hypnotized, then I started to have similar memories. So by probably late 2000, I can't remember exactly, but after a while, I started to have memories of um, hybrids being violent to me, and it was very similar to what he had told me while I was hypnotized was happening to Elizabeth. And I, and I know that those memories were just... Um, false memories that came from that suggestion, but at the time they felt very real, and they still—I mean, I still have the memories now, and they still feel real now. Um, but I know because I've got distance from them; and I, I, they don't affect me so much. But so when he told me that, you know, he was that they were quite aggressive and threatening to him on the IM, it, it wasn't a huge, um, you know, it, it wasn't too different. <laughs> From what I was remembering myself under hypnosis, so did, did he uh, did he have permission to tell Elizabeth, or did you yourself tell Elizabeth your experiences? No, he didn't. I don't know whether he had permission from Elizabeth, but he he routinely talked to me about lots of his other um, research subjects' experiences, including people that had stopped seeing him a while back. And it was, it's just something that he did, and I, and I assume that he, well, I, I know that he talked to Elizabeth about mine extensively. He didn't really have very strong boundaries between his research subjects. He just would talk 
about other people's experiences or, or, or through your hypnosis session. He tells you what's happening with other people as well. I mean, this is Jeff here. I, um, I want to jump back, if we can, to the very beginning of your experiences. Uh, and I have to ask this because it, it bears asking. Um, did your experiences increase when you left home and went to the commune to work? Or did they stay the same or did they cease? I think they probably continued... I think my experiences have pretty much continued on an even sort of keel. I think they went down slightly while I was married in my 20s. And then when I started recording them, they either went up a lot or else um, I remembered them or I noticed them a lot more. But they tended to be right through my life. Okay. But they did, they did ultimately start before you ever left home, they started as a small child. So mm, I'm just trying oh, to establish yeah. the fact that these didn't just start when you left home and went to work no, no. In, in, no, in an no. environment that wasn't home. Uh, no. They were around long before that. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Did anyone, um, well, I guess the way to phrase this is a lot of people with this, this experience seem to have a, a, an abnormal amount of sightings of strange things, whether it be balls of light in the house or uh, what what people would call craft in the air, uh, craft on the ground, that sort of thing. Did you experience any of that sort of thing when you were younger? And if so, did anyone from the commune that you worked at, did any, any of them witness this with you? Not at the commune, no. But when I was a young child, about five or six, um, I had one experience where I, I I woke up in the night and I felt that I had to go outside in the yard and I went out um, and I actually made up a little bed for myself out in the yard um, and something was up in the air and I had this sort of strange feeling on me like pulling, like buzzing on me and there was another child who came out into the yard as well and sort of remembered me going out and, and she, she came out. But what was interesting is that she told me as an adult that she thought that there was an, an old metal bath somewhere upside down in that area where I'd made up my bed and there wasn't a bath there ever. And I checked with my, my mother and there was no bath there. And she said it wasn't something that was always there, but it, it just was there and she had a sort of memory of it. Um, and I have wondered whether she, that's a fragmentary memory that she has of, because she's, I, I, she thought it might have been on the roof. Okay. Um, and it's sort of around that area where I, I had, Seen something up in, up in the air, so that's probably yeah. How about anything with uh, ending up someplace you shouldn't be and can't remember how you got there? Uh, um, it's like spontaneous yeah. relocation of some sort, that sort of thing. Mm. I mean, even in even mm. in the slightest thing of being down the block at uh, mm. an odd hour of the night where you shouldn't have been, and uh, and that sort of thing. Did you have any anything like that? Yeah, I had a few of those when I was a kid, actually. I can remember, uh, I just had this fragmentary memory of standing on this um, vacant lot, and I had no idea how I got there, and I had no idea how I left there, and I had no idea where it was. And um, 
Yeah, I had a, I've had a few experiences like that. I had my father told me. I don't know whether it's worth talking about because I can't tell you all the details. But my father had an experience that involved me, which I don't remember. But he told me when I was four, where he was. We were in the house, and a hallway had a bend in it, um, and I was by the front door, and he was round the bend of the hallway, so we couldn't see each other. And he said he called me, and then he said that I can't tell you what it is because it's identifying. Okay. But some, something that had been where he was relocated to where I was. Ah, okay. Um, um, and he said then there was just silence, and then apparently I started screaming, and I ran down the hall towards him, and I looked really scared. I huh. thought I'd realized what had happened, but I, I don't remember that myself. I mean, let's set all of the ufological stuff aside for a second. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you can remember throughout your life that would be paranormal in the least? In other words... Have you ever experienced anything like a poltergeist phenomena or ghost phenomena or any any of that sort of thing? I mean, stuff that kind of spans mm. the range a little bit more. Yeah, I, I think I may have experienced poltergeist phenomena. My my father has did. He's, he's he's passed away now, but he had poltergeist phenomena. Okay. Um, yeah, and um, one of the things that has happened for years, actually, is that um, somebody knocks on my front door during the night and on my next-door neighbor's door, and we've never been able to catch them. And um, I actually put a video camera up um, in my window to try and catch them. And on one occasion, when it happened, the knocking is audible, but there's no one on the video. Really? Um, Yeah. All right, so there's... Yeah, so we've got that element in there as well. Uh, then jumping ahead, the thing I have to ask in the course of trying to figure out Elizabeth, Dr. Jacobs, how all of this kind of fits in together, I have to ask, were you, I don't know, were you friendly with Elizabeth? Did you talk to her completely separate from Dr. Jacobs about, I mean, did you have phone conversations with her? Or was it strictly email? I mean, really, how close were you guys to to all of that um, going on? Well, at first, I didn't want to be. She, um, Dr. Um, David sent me, um, he told me in early 2005 that he, that she had offered to communicate with me as a buddy. Um, and I didn't want to because I was worried about my hypnosis memories being contaminated if I was in communication with another right. abductee. And so I, I, I was actually thank you, but no. Um, and then in um, 2006, when um, she became involved in putting my material on his website, she started to put a lot of pressure on me to communicate with her, and, and so did David. Um, and I didn't want to, and I kept sort of saying, no, I'd rather not, I'd rather not, I'd rather not. And eventually I caved in and agreed to do it, and I, and I regret it now. And we started communicating with each other by email, but I was quite careful not to talk to her about my experiences because I was really worried about the contamination. Right. Um, and so we just talked about practical things about um, the material that she's putting on, on the website and so on. And then later... In 2006, she started to sort of draw me in to trust her, and I was quite stressed by that stage by what was going on with David. And she sort of presented herself to me as somebody who was going through the same thing as I was, and that she was also very stressed 
by things that David was doing with her. And so I felt a kind of camaraderie with her because of it, and she was offering me support, and then I offered her support in return. <clears throat> and we exchanged quite a lot of emails um, talking to each other, you know, about how stressed we were and a little bit about our experiences and quite a bit about David and how we were dealing with him and so on and so forth. So at that stage, I saw her as a friend um, and somebody I trusted, and I was very stressed by that stage with what was happening with David. And I kind of leaned on her, her a little bit for, as, as somebody who, who knew what was going on and was supporting me. Yeah, I, I eventually realized that. Um, All was right, not, not right in Denmark. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so I have to ask this too, because this is kind of unclear to me. The... IMs that David had had told you about mm-hmm. that were allegedly from hybrids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, when you get an IM, there's decidedly a username associated with those IMs. Mm-hmm. Were they always from Elizabeth? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I know that there had been in our very early communications with you that you had said, mm-hmm. was it possible that you wrote these IMs in your sleep? Was that pertaining to the same thing? No, that's completely separate. That's a completely separate um, yeah. thing. I, okay. I, I didn't. I didn't actually have IM on my computer at that time. Okay. Um, and I, I, I never um, was in IM contact with either of them. It was all email. So, what was the content of the emails that was that that you think you probably did in a in a an altered state or or a sleep state? Mm-hmm. What was the content of those? Um, it was in about October 2006, and it was a few months after the hybrid IM had started. Okay. Um, and I was very, very stressed by that stage with what David was, uh, the tactics that David was doing with me. And I, there, there, yeah, I, I, I think I wrote the emails myself, but it was, there were some emails from my computer to my therapist um, and to David and to Elizabeth. And they're just very short, one or two lines saying things like, I think the first thing was like, I must not do the website, which I think was my subconscious wanting to back out of that whole um, working situation that I had with David. And in a couple, I think I said, oh, you know, please protect me or, or something like that. And Elizabeth started sending me hybrid emails on her computer, which were quite aggressive. At that point, I I think I started to write emails and the content that came out was things that I was remembering under hypnosis and things that David was telling me under hypnosis. Like one of the things that he really reiterated a lot to me while I was hypnotized was that I belonged to them and that they thought I belonged to them. And so I write a short sentence saying like, I belong to them or she belongs to us. And it's probably hard for people to understand because they haven't heard the hypnosis sessions, but that was a very repetitive thing that David said to me and that I then also remembered. So there was, it just consisted of very short sentences of me regurgitating what was coming out of my hypnosis, and I think it was me processing that. Right, so so if you have this sleep disorder and if you were thinking uh, stressed out about you know, normal work stuff, you would have written emails about work stuff. But since you were stressed out about these hypnosis mm-hmm. sessions with hybrids, yeah. you wrote about hybrids. Yeah. Um, yeah. But did you actually type in their email addresses and hit send 
as well? Um, I must have, um, and um, I sent it to my therapist and to David. David had two emails. He, he asked me to write to various email accounts, and I sent it to various email accounts um, and to Elizabeth's account. But at that time, a lot of my communication was with David and Elizabeth on email. We were in constant email contact, both with the work and with the website work. So that that actually doesn't surprise me so much. That would be something that I could do in my sleep. I do it so often. Did you um, uh, did you send these emails before or after he started his tactics? Oh, late in the day, way after. I'd pretty much been broken down by that stage. Um, I was an absolute wreck, and I think it was just this stress. Um, my sleep behaviour was quite out of control. And when I look back on my record that I was keeping of my experiences, I, I could see lots and lots of instances of sleep behaviour, which um, I was putting down to hybrids, and which David was telling me was hybrids, like waking up and my phone receiver was off, and um, waking up and my computer was switched on, and just lots. You can sort of see the build-up now that I've sort of gone back and looked at it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. At any point during... The hubbub over the hybrid IMs that were being mm-hmm. sent to Dr. Jacobs, did mm-hmm. at any point when they started, did he say to you, yeah, I get this really weird IM. I don't know what to make of it, but we're going to ignore that for mm-hmm. now because it doesn't seem relevant to you. It doesn't seem um, – mm-hmm. I mean, at any point, did he show you uh, – to you, did he show any kind of serious skepticism like, no. I think this is Elizabeth, no. or I think Elizabeth might have um, no. be fooling around, or I don't know no. what exactly is going along with wrong with Elizabeth, but something's obviously no. not right. I mean, none of that came up at all. Not at all. Not never. He told me that he, the first hybrid communication that he got was in the guise of Elizabeth. And he said that, she, I can't remember if it was an IM or an email, um, and that she wrote to him and said, that she had lied to him about everything, um, that she was a bad person, he mustn't listen to anything she said, and she was sorry, goodbye, or something like that. And I think she was confessing to him that. And he told me that he immediately rejected it because he knew that she would never say that. And then she then said that she had no memory of sending it, um, and he did a hypnosis session with her, and she remembered a hybrid forcing her to write it. And then he said a few weeks later, he was having an IM conversation with her, and it happened again, and it said something like, you know, I'm a liar or something like that, and he typed back, he thought, you know, he said he thought that the hybrid was making her write it, so he just typed back as normal. Um, And then um, he said that she refused to keep writing it, um, and that the hybrid made her sit in a chair, and that the hybrid then took over writing and pretended to be Elizabeth. And then he said the hybrid broke his cover, and he broke his cover. Initially, he pretended that he was a, a debunker um, researching NPD, and that he only thought she had NPD. And then they eventually, after they'd been in IM communication for a while, they, they broke each other's cover, and then they started communicating openly with each other. Okay. Now, what about you? I mean, I know that you've said essentially that you were in a very suggestible state under hypnosis. Mm -hmm. But I also know that when you're in the moment 
with mm-hmm. this kind of stuff and you're uncovering more and more and more, or at least you think you are by virtue of mm-hmm. hypnosis, mm-hmm. that, uh, and I've heard this from a great number of people, that you can kind of get involved and even though that you believe that it's likely confabulated, or even if you didn't at the time, that this becomes part of your life and that this becomes all-consuming and you feel like you're just containing this big sphere of this is what my life is. This is all real and you lose your critical judgment um, like that. So at any point during David telling you about these hybrid IMs and Obviously, that he would. Am I right in saying that he was concerned or overly concerned for his own well-being as well as yours, by virtue um, of these? I, I never felt that he was. Uh, yeah, he was very concerned about his well-being. Okay. Well, was there ever a point where you said, David, are you sure that this is not something yeah, weird? Or, <laughs> I mean, I I I'll, I have to put this out there. I mean, and say it right now is that the last mm-hmm. show. I made the statement that instant messages or any electronic communication from from hybrids was absurd, and and I, I caught quite a lot of hell from that uh, statement because all of this is absurd when you really step back and take a look at it. So mm-hmm. it's not out of the realm that something like that could happen. My statement mm-hmm. was more about along the lines of the context of your whole experience in this is that it seems a little mm-hmm. bit, I don't know, it seems a bit flaky to me to think that mm-hmm. um, that hybrids are actually sending IMs from a woman that you know that he's mm-hmm. working with, mm-hmm. and that this is coming through in such a way that he fears for his safety. Did you ever say to him? Mm-hmm. Did you did you investigate this more? Did you mm-hmm. uh, did you ever question him about the validity or the veracity of of, yeah. of these IMs yeah. and say you really mm-hmm. think this is real? I mean, you really think this is actually happening? Um, I didn't go that far, but um, he in August um, 2006, he went on a run from her hybrids, and there was a great big saga. And it started when he was going to have a hypnosis session with me, and then he cancelled. Um, and then he said he, he couldn't do it because Elizabeth's hybrids had decided that she should go down and see him that day. And it got built into that they were trying to find him. And then her husband had suggested that she should go and see him, and they were, they were using her husband to try and locate him. And then it developed into a, a, a thing that he was on the run from them. And it was when he went on holiday. So he went on holiday and he was on the run from the hybrids. And then he came back um, and he told me that he had just got back from his holiday and he was, he had, because the um, IMs used to get scheduled in advance. Um, and he had an IM with a hybrid scheduled. Um, and they were going to talk to him about what they were or were not going to do to him. And at that point, it sounded so horrible to me. It kind of broke through the stupor that I was in. And, and I, I sort of got some, you know, bit more perspective on it. And I, and I said to him, well, you know, would it be worth asking Elizabeth to put up a webcam? Because if you're going to, you know, if this is going to really affect your life, it, it might be worth, you know, trying to verify it. And he said, well, I can't ask her to do that. Um, and basically didn't go anywhere. And I think at that point, Elizabeth probably realized that I was going to start questioning it. That it, was, it just sort of was, it didn't last for very long, but that was the start of my 
starting to, to question things. And then a little bit later, he told me that her husband had given her a webcam for, as a gift and that she'd set it out and that he and his wife were sitting watching the webcam at the time that the hybrid was scheduled to arrive and they could see her there typing. And then she closed her eyes and then she got up and walked out of the room and he said to his wife, you know, she's going to come back and turn that camera off and, and she did. And then they immediately came on and they were quite aggressive to him about why he was trying to record them. Okay. Um, and then she never wanted to use the webcam again after that. Huh. Okay. Jeremy's got a few for you. Yeah, I, I have to do the crap questions. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you know, one of the things that often comes up is that the question of was there some love triangle? Was there some sort of jealousy going on between you and Elizabeth? Um, no. Anything about that ring true no, for you? Not at all. Not at all. I saw her as a friend. I saw her as somebody who was supporting me, um, going through the same thing as me. And it was actually horrible to have to go through the process of realising that she was actually lying. It was terrible. And even at the point where I, you know, had come to that realisation, I felt very sorry for her because I knew that she had a lot of stress in her life um, and I knew some of the things she'd been saying to David, like she told him that she was losing interest in her children um, and he sort of just said that, well, you know, the aliens made her think that, um, that, you know, she told me that she was very depressed and, and I was quite concerned for her at that time and I tried to talk to David about it. So I didn't, even, yeah, even though I sort of realised that what she was doing and what she had done, I still felt sorry for her and, yeah, it, it, it's just it's just not, not the case at all. Did you tell your regular therapist what was going on with Jacobs? And if so, what was the reaction? Um, I didn't a lot, no, because my therapist had retired by that stage and we'd, we'd had an agreement that he would still assist me with my my record, my research, because he was interested in it, but he, we set up these boundaries because he'd been my therapist where I, would never, I wouldn't talk to him about stressful things or problems that I had in my life um, because it wouldn't be appropriate because he used to be my therapist and he wouldn't give me any therapeutic support or advice. Um, and I stuck to that very carefully. So I didn't actually talk to him about the stress um, and what David was doing. And something I think you almost said earlier when Jeff asked, did you feel like he was protecting you and protecting himself? It sounded like you were almost going to say you never felt like he was protecting you. Is that what no. I was about to hear? Mm, no, yeah. I, I don't think that he ever... In the beginning, I think in the sort of late 2005, he'd start to ask me to do things and, and he'd couch it in terms of it will alleviate the pressure on you. But I think I very quickly realised that it was um, sort of around protecting him. And, I, yeah, I think the, the focus, I think he had this, um, in my opinion, he had built up a, 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 a whole world for himself where he was under threat because he was the big threat to the alien program because he knew what they were doing and that he, he was very preoccupied with protecting himself from that. And I think that Elizabeth and I, um, and later another research subject that he took on after I did my work with him, we were all sort of players in that big scheme um, and we all got sort of shuffled around and used in that <laughs> scenario 
that it was focused on himself primarily. Well, this brings us full circle back to the tactics and whether you agreed to them or not. On tape eight, we hear David say that you agreed to these tactics and that you were laughing about it and you, you were saying, no, it wasn't a joke. You told me you needed to do this. What were these tactics beyond the fake diagnosis under hypnosis that you had multiple personality disorder? The one that we, that specific one that we were talking about was in about September or October. I had a hypnosis session booked with him and I received an email from Elizabeth the day before telling me that I had to pretend that he was someone else during the hypnosis session. And I wrote back and I was quite distressed by them and I said I didn't think I could do it. And she wrote back and said that, you know, it was very dangerous um, and he was um, having to do, you know, take steps to um, ensure his safety and so on. And it was, really, it was important that I did it. And then I got an email from David saying, asking me to call him before the hypnosis session. So and in the afternoon I called him and he talked to me for quite a while and he was very um, adamant that it was something that I had to do and it was a requirement for his protection and so on. And I was really quite stressed by then um, and it particularly stressed me because in, under hypnosis I was very um, vulnerable and often quite scared, particularly by that stage because of the types of memories that I was having. Um, and I really relied on his voice to, to guide me through it. And I, at that time I still thought that I was under from the phenomenon and that he was my person who was helping me um, and I found that quite stressful and in the end when we did the hypnosis session I, I couldn't do it so I didn't do it we, we sort of joked a bit about it but by that stage the, the previous pressure had been on me um, and I was, in, I was very distressed about that so so that's what we were talking about in that one but there were um, a whole series of, of them one of them there was when he um, he told me that I couldn't write to him directly anymore because he was worried about hybrids knowing I was in communication with him. So he told me that I had to write a friend of his called Lucille Scott had said that um, I could that he could use her email account to communicate with me and that I had to send my emails to him, to her, and that I had to address them to her, and that I had to pretend she was an old friend of mine and write it all in code. Um, I couldn't say directly what I was talking to him about. It all had to be coded and addressed to her and to this woman's email account. Um, and I was terrified because I was talking about stuff that was, that, you know, if somebody else found out, could really damage me if it came out. And um, I found it very, very stressful, and I did it for a while. And then I wrote to him, and I said, I, I can't go on in this situation. Um, I'm, I'm so stressed. Um, I, c I can't work with you anymore if, if this continues. I need to be able to communicate with you in just a basic, straightforward email account. And then he wrote back, and he, he told me that it wasn't actually... Um, his friend's email account, it was actually his email account, that he'd wanted the hybrids to believe that, and so he'd made me believe that. And I was quite shocked because um, I'd actually called him up before he told me that um, and told him how frightened I was sending emails about my experiences to an account of somebody I didn't even know. And I'd actually broken down in tears on the phone, and he had had, had no concern at all about it. Um, and then sort of realising that he had just been um, pretending to me. And I started to feel, that's when I started to realise that he was saying things to me that weren't true, but that he wanted me to believe for the hired words. Um, and after that, he started a whole 
series of those sorts of tactics, but I, I could never, I never knew whether what he was saying to me was real or not. Um, and he quite often involved a little bit of that in that as well. So those are the sorts of um, tactics that were going on at that time. And in regards to your sleep disorder, um, at what point did you sort of put two and two together and uh, think, huh, maybe some of this stuff I'm doing, I'm doing in my sleep because of the disorder? Mm, I've known that I've done things in my sleep for a long time, um, but I didn't know it was a sleep disorder. Um, and I just thought, oh, you know, it's interesting. I, had, I woke up you know, once and I was dying with phone um, and things like that. And, and my ex-husband said that I, I used to talk to him on the phone. He used to ring me and, and I'd be asleep. And he always knew because I talked very slowly mm-hmm. um, and things like that. So I, I knew I did it. And then in 2004, when I was doing a very detailed record of my experiences, I put a video camera up to film myself. Um, to see, you know, for, for my experiences to see if I could get anything on the video camera. Um, and I actually saw myself um, wake, wake well, I thought I, when I first saw the videos, I thought I was waking up and writing notes, but I had no memory of it and they, and they didn't make any sense. Um, and then I thought, oh, you know, I, I, I think I was asleep or, or maybe I was in some kind of altered state. But I mean, I was just writing notes in my sleep. And, and I still do that now sometimes. So quite quite recently I've done it. So, yeah, I sort of knew it, knew about it. And I actually put it in my record because I thought it was interesting. I thought, oh, maybe I'm writing stuff from my subconscious, mm-hmm. which, you know, um, which would be interesting. But I didn't really... I didn't put two and two together and think, oh, you know, I've actually got a sleep disorder. And it was only after after I did my work with David, actually, that I um, suddenly remembered that I'd, you know, been writing these notes in 2004. And it was only then that I realized that I'd written the emails in my sleep. Uh-huh. Before then, I thought that I must have developed some kind of other disorder. And as far as the tapes that we've heard, and especially that audio tape 8, which sounds... So damning against Jacobs. Um, mm. Is any of that out of context? Um, no. And in, and in no. Term, no. Okay. No. And in terms of um, when the tape goes to an edit, what's being edited out? Um, my name, um, other people's names, and some stuff that's private about other people. Like he talked about the young man a bit. In some of the conversations, he talks about other researchers, other research subjects. And just just stuff that I didn't think was appropriate to put up in public. And when you were talking um, to him, was that the David Jacobs that you knew all along, or was this some new defensive guy? I mean, how did that register for you? Um, I think that when I um, I had started to come into conflict with him in late 2006 when I started resisting some of his tactics, so I knew that he could be a bit funny. Um, but I think the the first time when I really felt that was when I when he told me that he'd received a warning on information about working with me and I and I said to him that I thought it might be um Elizabeth and he shouted at me that it wasn't possible. So I kind of at that stage was starting to realise that he could be quite aggressive if 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 he didn't go his way. So by the time of yeah, through early 2007, I had sort of come to realize that he was actually a very, very difficult person to deal with if he weren't, um, if things weren't going his way. Uh, by the end of that tape eight, it sounds like you guys have come to an amicable resolution. 
<laughs> what happened that you decided to come public with all this stuff? Um, he he told me that he'd sent me a letter from Brad Hopkins, um, and I actually got the letter, and it was, in my opinion, an appalling letter. It's the worst letter I've ever received in my life. And he basically, basically from what I've gathered from the letter, David must have told him, in my opinion, that I was planning to destroy him and destroy his career and somehow out Elizabeth and destroy her and her husband's sort of employment, um, and that I was in a fury and trying to get revenge, um, and he made an analogy between, you know, George Bush's invasion of Iraq causing the death of thousands of people, um, and that I was going to destroy you know, the UFO research field, and even if I felt that there was, you know, I had a, I had a complaint, I wouldn't have the right to do that because it would hurt abductee. You know, it was just... Um, so, wait, 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 wait. Bud Hopkins yeah. compared you outing David Jacobs to Iraq? Yeah, I've got the letter here. I'll just <laughs> try and make sure I get it right. I mean, I can read it the whole thing. I'll just pull out. Sure, yeah. It was a very strange letter, and I don't know quite where he was coming from. But I had called him and talked to him about just a practical thing to do with some material that I'd sent him. And then I told him that I thought that Elizabeth was um, a hoaxer um, because he was a friend of David's and I thought he might be able to sort of step in. But I got this impression talking to him that he didn't really know anything about the situation at all and so then just stopped. And we just had a very short, amicable conversation. Anyway, in in the letter... He wrote it as though it was based on our conversation and it wasn't. Um, anyway, he says, I was pleased to talk with you a couple of nights ago and I've had a few thoughts subsequently that I decided to put in letter form. I realise you and I have never met. Hey, you've never met Dee, which was David, or, and he put Elizabeth's initial. Um, and he goes, I'll use initials to maintain confidentiality. And I, I, I think it's quite odd that he put David's name as D. I mean, David's not anonymous, and I think he did it so there was no record of David's name in the letter. But anyway, that was my opinion. Though, of course, they've never met you. All of us are more or less operating in the dark, with three of us having only a vague sense of what you are like, and one of us, me, having no real sense of um, an Elizabeth initial, and you having only a vague sense of what the three of us are really like. Um, also, even after our phone conversation, I don't quite understand what the problems are among the three of you. Whatever they are, it's important to consider the difference between self-defense and revenge. I mean, this is just come straight from David, because I never said anything like this to him. And he said, George Bush decided to get revenge for 9-11, so without knowing the facts, he ended up attacking Iraq, a country which had nothing whatsoever to do with 9-11. His need for revenge, coupled with his ignorance of the facts, has pretty much blown the world apart and led to thousands upon thousands of deaths. Now, I don't know what you feel... Elizabeth Initial or D have done to you, but based on your anger, I will assume the worst. I mean, this is David again, because there was no anger in in our conversation whatsoever. Um, and he goes, that you feel, Elizabeth, has accused you of making up your abduction experiences and your encounters with hybrids, and that she's published on the internet her opinion that you are a deliberate liar and hoaxer, though I've seen no evidence that Elizabeth even thinks that. Um, let's also assume the worst with Dean that you feel he has published something on the web claiming that you are a liar and hoaxer, though again, I've seen not an iota of evidence that he's ever even thought this. So it's kind of um, inverted 
um, the fact that I was going to say on, on, on the internet that I thought that Elizabeth was a hoaxer, and I don't know whether he genuinely made a mistake or whether he just did this for some reason, I don't know. And go, now the question I have is this, if these theoretical attacks on your credibility were true, would you have the right to avenge such false statements by theoretically trying to damage Dee's career, even to get him fired, thereby injuring his entire family, and also doing whatever you can from a distance to injure Elizabeth, her husband, family, and source of employment? The answer is that you do not have that right of revenge, just as Bush did not have the right to invade Iraq. What you would have in this hypothetical situation is the right to defend your honour and truthfulness, even if it meant ultimately suing Elizabeth and Dee for libel. Even if you had clear evidence that Dee and Elizabeth had published such things about you, you would still not have the right to take such drastic revenge because apart from the personal harm you would thereby have caused to innocent members of both families, you would also be doing terrible damage to all UFO abductees and researchers. This is because the vicious core of the bunkers is just waiting for such a thing to happen to provide ammunition against the reality of UFO abductions. See, they would say, we told you all these of these people who claim UFO experiences are mentally unstable and or deliberate liars, and now here's the proof. One of them on the inside is saying that about the others. They're all nuts. Um, and that makes me think that he did actually know that I was saying that Elizabeth was a hoaxer. And he goes, so, and then my name, I have no idea why you are in such a fury. You must feel that Elizabeth and Dee have done some terribly injurious things to you personally, but here in the US I've heard nothing detrimental to you from either of them. I don't really know Elizabeth personally, <clears throat> that they've said or published about you, though there must be some reason you are so angry. I just don't understand it. Please let me know by letter exactly what bad things either Elizabeth or B have done to you personally with specific published quotes so I have a better idea of why you seem furious enough to seek potentially catastrophic revenge. Like Bush and Iraq, revenge would have drastic unforeseen consequences to all those who claim UFO abductions and to all those trying to help them. It would also provide needed fuel to the very people who want to ridicule you or me or D or Elizabeth. So, as I said, I don't really know Elizabeth. I do know Dee, and I can bet several things are true, that he has sincerely tried to help you, not harm you, that he must have given at least 10 or 12 hours of his life in caring for you, that he has never received a penny for those hours of heartfelt concern. Though I don't know those things for sure, I do know Dee well enough to say they have to be true. As to Elizabeth, I still have seen or heard nothing that suggests she has ever cast doubt on your truthfulness, called you a hoaxer or any such horrible thing. To call anyone a hoaxer in our fragile field is a most serious charge, and I can't imagine she would ever say or publish that about you, or that you would say or publish that about her, knowing that you live oceans apart and have no first-hand knowledge of one another. In all my years of working with UFO abductees, I've run into one man who invented evidence and told lies to support his claims. When I stopped dealing with them, I just stated that our investigation uncovered information that contradicted some of his claims, so we had decided to drop the case. I still think he may be an abductee, and I feel sorry for him, not a desire to seek revenge and in the process tear apart the field of UFO abduction research. I was rather sleepy when I got your phone call, and I seem to recall, though it's a bit cloudy, that you doubted some of the incidents um, Elizabeth has described, though I can't imagine that whatever those doubts, they would make you as vengeful as you seem to be. Though it's almost impossible for me to imagine, you must feel like Elizabeth and Dee have said or done terrible things to you personally to cause such a reaction. As I've asked above, please fill me in with published quotes 
of exactly what they've said or done to you. I wish you well, my name, and I realise that your isolation has made things much more difficult for you, but you are an intelligent woman and I'm sure you can keep everything in perspective. Sincerely, Bud Hopkins. And wow. I have, yeah. Talk I mean, about overreach. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I imagine the Pope makes the same case to about molesting priests. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I had never, ever, um, it, it, it's just rubbish. I mean, I had um, phoned David and was trying to work out something really nice. And I just couldn't believe it. And, and then it was then that I realized that David was actually really defaming me um, to people. Uh, I was just, you know, it, it's, it's hard. It, I mean, it, it, that obviously comes through in those recordings, which is why I had to ask: Are they out of context? Because no, I can't see how there is another context, frankly. No. But uh, I got to say, uh, or I got to ask rather: Did it seem odd to you at the time that your conversation with him didn't just go mm-hmm. like this? Hey, David, I want to make mm-hmm. an amicable, amicable resolution, um, and then he say, "Great, you write it up, and I'll edit mm-hmm. it and send it back to you." And we'll agree on something. Okay, okay, Mm -hmm. goodbye. I mean, did it seem Mm -hmm. odd to you that it was an hour and a half of you explaining the same thing over and over and him sort of going along with it for a minute and then retreating back Mm -hmm. into accusing you of Mm -hmm. trying to destroy him and and all that? Mm, I mean, I I couldn't believe the way he was behaving. But I also, by then, had had quite a lot of experience of him behaving in a in a, in a, I thought at that by that stage I had come to the opinion that he was an out of control person who'd gone off the rails, and I just felt that I was just dealing with a, a very difficult person um, and trying to placate them, <clears throat> and that if I could just get through it and get some kind of agreement between us, that I could put it on my website, and then it would solve the problem, and then I could just walk away um, and 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 leave him to it. Um, so I did. I, I couldn't believe the way he was behaving, but I also by then it, it didn't really shock me because I knew. Um, I was shocked. He he did threaten to reveal my identity, and I was really shocked by that. Um, but I, yeah, it was in the context of he had been really difficult for for a while. Well, just, how many phone conversations did you have <laughs> with him? Because at some point he says, "I know. Mm-hmm. I've heard this over and over again from you. I don't want to hear it again." We didn't actually have that many. We had um, one, two, three, four, five. We had about six conversations by then. The audio clip two was the second conversation that I had with him about it. Um, and then I put up the next two, I think, we had after that. There's only one conversation that I haven't put up before that audio clip eight. Um, and did he know that all two. of these were being taped? Mm, yeah, I told him. When he told me that um, he'd got the warning and um, I knew that we were going to have a real disagreement, I said that I wanted to record um, our conversations about it. And he said, yeah, he was fine. With that. Do you have that on tape where he agrees no, with that? I don't. No, unfortunately. <clears throat> but, but he certainly agreed to that on tape eight. I mean, he certainly knew you were taping mm. and he was trying to tape as well. Mm, and, and with audio clip two, he asked me to send him a tape because he taped it as well and his one didn't, he said he didn't have all of it so he asked me to send me mine so he obviously you know, knew about it but he, he says that later he forgot um, and he might have forgotten because he's got a terrible memory but I didn't know that he'd forgotten but no, I, I didn't get his permission to do it 
And here you are still keeping Elizabeth's name a secret after all of this. Mm. Uh, well, I would never ever disclose her name, ever. Yeah. Now, has she, has she gone after you publicly? Has she made any statement about any of this? Mm. She, uh, when I put my website up, um, I had um, written, uh, and after that conversation on audio clip 8, we had one more conversation where I talked to him about this letter that I got from Bud, and he denied having said those things to Bud. And I said to him at that point, well, if we're going to have an agreement, I want it in writing. And it was just because I couldn't trust him after that. Um, and he said, well, that's not going to happen. And he put the phone down. And then I got an, e- an email from him, which he sent a minute later, saying that I was mentally ill and he didn't have any more contact with me. Um, and then anyway, I, I decided I was just going to go ahead and write the statement based on what we discussed in, in audio clip 8. So I did that and I sent him the draft and I said... This is what I'm going to put on my website, and if, if you want to make any comments or, or changes, let me know, and I'll try and accommodate them. And um, this, just before I put my website, published my website, which is in October 2007, I, I told them that I was going to, and I said I, I, I hope that this will, you know, allow us both to go to go forward and, you know, to solve the problem. Um, and so I, I, I published it, and I had a, a very diplomatic statement on it, and I'd used his own words that he said he was happy with and everything. Um, and then about half an hour later, Elizabeth put an absolute character assassination of me on her blog site, and I'd linked to her blog site as a way to substantiate what, what I was saying about the hybrid IM, because she talked about it on her blog site. So that kind of ended my attempt to... You know, have a have a nice um, way out of it, um, and I, I emailed David and I said I was really concerned about it, and she'd made an, an implied threat at the end of the of the character assassination that she might one day choose to reveal my identity, and she phrased it quite ambiguously so she could get out of it, but it was definitely the implication was there, and everybody that I showed it to immediately picked up on it, mm-hmm. um, and it was just it was deliberate. And um, I emailed him about that and said I was very concerned about it. Um, and I didn't get any response. <laughs> and then because of that, I wrote him and I told him that I was withdrawing permission for him to use any of my material because I'd given it to him on the ground that um, my identity would be kept confidential and she'd made this implied threat and he had not responded to my contacting him about it. So, um, yeah, and um, at that point, Elizabeth put a disclaimer at the top of her character assassination saying that David had absolutely nothing to do with it, which I think he probably asked her to do as a way to protect himself because it's very defamatory and very it's totally untrue, um, and he probably didn't want to put himself in the firing line for that, but he has backed her and he's backed it by not refuting it. Um, and I also came to understand that he was um, defaming me quite extensively behind the scenes. Right. Um, I was contacted by people, yeah. Uh, Emma, we had, um, I mean, our message board pretty much erupted after that we aired your show where we just kind of gave our opinions on what we were hearing based mm-hmm. on your tapes um, or one tape that we used. And I have to say, some some people were decidedly against what was being opinionated on, and some people were aghast at what they heard. And I remember one post in particular that Jeremy and I talked on the phone about was a a gent or lady on our message board said, you know, I had heard 
some time ago that Jacobs discontinued uh, working with one of his subjects because they were crazy. And he found yeah. that out and then stopped that. And we wondered, I mean, I, Jeremy even said to me, he's like, you know, if, if there was a point that broke Emma's back, could this have been it? Could this have been who he was talking about? Or is, is this where this person is hearing this? I mean, is, is that you that, that we um, think, I think that they're talking? I think it almost certainly is. Okay. Um, and he actually did an uh, interview on um, Red Ice Radio, <clears throat> excuse me, in October last year. And he said on that show that he had one person who had a personality disorder, which was not recognised for a long time. Um, and then he's been being plagued by her since then. It's been very difficult for him and his family. So um, he's obviously talking about me. And I was also shown, somebody allowed me to see a letter that he'd written to them about me, which was basically saying that I was mentally ill um, and, and plaguing him and, um, right. and, and so on and so forth. And I was contacted through my website by the research subject that he took on after me, who had a, a, an awful experience as well and also had a, a, an appalling situation with Elizabeth. Um, and he told me what David had been saying about me and, and looked very obvious from Bud Hopkins' letter as well. Right. So, yeah. I guess one of the overarching things that, not just on our message board, but other places on the net, uh, mm-hmm. other conversations going on, is that, uh, and I'm sure that this angers you, and it, it's not, uh, I, I don't say this to offend you in any way, no, um, but there is there is the overarching, <laughs> again, theory that you're mentally ill, that you have mm-hmm. very serious disorder, but yet you had said, uh, I believe on, I believe it was on recording number eight, that you had been to see a therapist, mm-hmm. he had given you a clean bill of health, and that there was nothing wrong with mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Is there? I mean, I think it would go a long way, and I know that this is probably asking a lot, and and we can remove this from the show if you'd rather not talk about this part of it. But mm-hmm. I think it would go a long way for you to remove your name or, or or kind of black your name out somehow, and actually post that document that says from a a, a licensed uh, clinical therapist of some sort that. There is nothing wrong with Emma Woods, <laughs> that she is of sound mm-hmm. mind, uh, mm-hmm. that she may have a sleep disorder. Um, I mean, is that something that you would consider doing? Because I think um, that I have one on there. I have one on my website, which uh, okay. um, my, my former therapist, he was my therapist for 10 years, and he wrote, he did a, a psychological assessment of me, and he wrote it, and I have that on my website, and David actually has the original okay. signed copy of it, and I'm... I, after I ended my work with David, I, I did quite a lot of work with a therapist on recovering from what had happened and unraveling the whole thing. And his um, opinion is that I'm psychologically absolutely normal and that my responses were um, normal and appropriate in this situation. And he thinks that um, I've actually um, dealt with it very well in the circumstances so, um, yeah, I mean, David knows that I don't have mental health problems. Um, and he, he worked with me for years. And a month before I um, questioned whether Elizabeth was writing the hybrid I am, I had a conversation with him. At that stage, I knew that I was writing my sleep emails because I, I recognized my language in them, but I, I didn't know I, had a, I hadn't sort of 
twigs that it was my sleep behaviour and I thought that I might have developed a psychiatric disorder um, where I was writing some emails and then had some kind of amnesia and couldn't remember and I thought, you know, maybe the stress that, I'm, that I've been through, uh, I've developed some sort of psychiatric disorder and I talked to him about it and I said, you know, I'm, I'm worried that this might have happened um, and he was very clear to me that he that there was no way and that he did not think I had any psychological problems whatsoever and he assured me that if he ever thought that, that he'd let me know and so on and so forth. Um, and that was a month, that was in January 2007, it was a month before I ended my work with him. Um, and even in the conversation where I ended my work with him, which is audio clip two, he said that he would still continue to conduct hypnosis with me. I mean, he wouldn't have done that right. if he thought that I was mentally ill. And it was the, the first time that he, that he really directly said to me that he thought that I had you no know, problems was after I'd ended my work with him and he'd written me quite a terse letter and, and, I, was, and I, I just had enough and I, I wrote back to him and I said that I felt that his behaviour towards me as, um, as a researcher had been unacceptable and that I thought that he should um, think very carefully about what, you know, the trajectory that he was on with Elizabeth because um, she was obviously very stressed and her husband had obviously been concerned about um, her association with him and that he had, um, that he should, uh, that I wasn't impressed with his conduct. Um, and at that point, he then sent me an email, you know, basically saying that I had mental health problems and it, and it, I, and it was just a direct response to that and I think that he just decided that the way that in my opinion he decided that he was going to deal with the fact that I was no longer his research subject and was critical of his conduct right. by saying that I was mentally ill and um, the young man who contacted me um, in December 2007 he told me that um, in early 2007 he went through a period of hypnosis with David and David talked to him about me um, and he told this young man that he thought that if he did not use um, my sleep emails in, that he would be able to use all my material in his book without using a disclaimer and that he would never have done that if he thought that I was mentally ill. Right. Um, um, and it was later when um, he realised that I was actually going to be putting up a website myself and it was, I was going to be talking about it in public. Um, he then said that, well, he would use a disclaimer, which he would have to do because you know, I was going to be talking about it myself. But he was still talking about using my material. Huh. And when he said um, that, you know, I'd have to use a disclaimer and it, it's, made, it's made it very difficult for me to use your material and the more you dig in the heels... Um, about the hybrid I am being a hoax, the more, more difficult it is. And it was the fact that I was saying the hybrid intermittent is a hoax was the problem. He didn't say the more mentally ill you become, the more difficult it right, is. Right, right. It was the more I questioned the hybrid I am. And that was the big problem for David, is that he was trying to promote this hybrid instant messaging as, as an, a startling development in the field right. um, and using Elizabeth's case. And it was a huge problem for him that the other person in the, in the picture thought it was a hoax. I see. Um, and okay. um, I think that he, I think his, his response has just been, to, and, and then when he realised that it could all come out, 
his response has been to try and deal with it by putting it across that I'm mentally ill. When I hear this, um, that he was going to use your case with a disclaimer and then with not a disclaimer and, and all of that, but yet we hear in recorded conversation number eight that, quote, the warning flags were everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, did that ever come up for you? I know I asked this in email, but I feel like we need to ask you on the mm-hmm. show. Did, at yeah. any point during your work with him, did he say, you know, Em, I think there might be more going on no. here than never. this, and I think you it's might never. want to talk to someone else besides me? No, he was very sh- um, uh, sh- sure and confident that I had no psychological problems whatsoever. Okay. And he, and he told me that. And I, I and I used to occasionally ask him, and he was very clear and unsure about. Because that, that was really kind of my statement on the show was when I heard that was, okay, if the mm-hmm. warning signs were everywhere, then why wouldn't mm-hmm. he have you know said I think mm-hmm. you need to see therapist X because they're better equipped mm-hmm. than I am to deal with this, and that didn't seem to have happened. That doesn't seem to make mm. sense to me in the grand scheme of what's going on here. Well, even in terms of, of mm-hmm. saying you have multiple personality disorder and all of that, I mean, mm-hmm. if he believed that, um, mm. wouldn't he have dumped you? Right, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he would have immediately dumped me. He would never want to use my material, period. I mean, that's, yeah. Let me ask you this. Just, in terms yeah. of uh, Temple University and and how he presented himself to you, did he ever say or did you ever assume or ask if he was a licensed therapist in, of any sort? Um, no. and, and did you, you know, was he doing this under the auspices of Temple University or was he doing it on his um, own? Well, yeah, he presented, he presented it to me as that I was going to be a research subject of Temple University and I signed Temple University research consent forms um, and it said that um, I was participating in scholarly research um, and, you know, the, the number of the vice provost for research of Temple University that I could call if I wanted more information about my rights and so on. So it was it was um, very, um, yeah, it was straight up. But I've since spoken to Temple University um, earlier this year and they, um, in my opinion, are trying to cover up what happened to protect themselves from liability and they told me that Richard Throm from the Institutional Review Board of Temple University told me um, verbally that they that those forms were unauthorized um, and that they did not consider them to be legally binding. Do you have copies of those by chance? I do, yeah. I, th- I think you sent them to us. Oh, you're, okay. Did oh, you not? Got did, you, did you email those to us? Uh, I don't think I did, but oh, I can. Yeah. Oh, no, I did. I did. I sent them. Yeah, you did sent you, them did early. Did you get a, a, a large number of PDFs? Uh-huh. But I think. Okay. Um, they're probably buried in there somewhere. Excellent. Can we put those online or? Um, sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, so if if he's doing that, an unauthorized thing with Temple documents, does that not concern them? Yeah. I mean, I, he didn't say. I mean, my opinion at the time is that he is there. They are wanting to distance themselves from him so that they're not liable for it. Um, and I said to um, to Richard Throm that I felt that he was that you know well he was putting people at risk. I mean that he presented it to me as Temple University research, and they told me that they have told him to remove all references to Temple University and to research 
in any future um, work that he does with people. And in my opinion, they're doing that to make it even harder for people to hold them liable for, for what he's doing. How are you going to hold them liable, or are you? I mean, where are you in this process of trying to get some sort of justice? What is it exactly that you want? At the moment, I'm still pursuing a case for the Office for Human Research Protection. I um, laid a complaint with them last year about um, Temple University, in my opinion, not investigating David's um, research properly. Um, and they, at Temple University at that point made a case to the OHRP that David wasn't actually um, conducting research, but he was just conducting oral history. Therefore, the OHRP didn't have the mandate to investigate it, and the OHRP accepted that. But I've actually spoken to the director of the OHRP and told them that I don't agree with that and that I think that his um, research does meet their criteria. Um, and I'm going to present a case and ask them to review it, and they've said that I can do that. So. Um, and probably within the next um, month or so, I'm going to work on on that case and present it to them in hope. And I, I don't hold out a lot of hope, but it would, but it, I mean, if, if it happens, it would be great. But, it, uh, as far as you know, did he ever conduct any hypnosis with you from the campus of Temple University? I don't think so. I think he did it from his home, and I'm not sure. And as far as the research that... Uh, these documents speak to, is it human um, experimentation research or is it purely book research? Um, the form that he got me to sign? Yeah. It just says scholarly research. Okay. So if this if this doesn't get a, a, an investigation um, or a relook, mm -hmm. uh, what, what then? Um, I haven't thought that far ahead. <laughs> I've decided to just wait and see what happens with them at that point, if they go ahead, they'll do a really thorough investigation. And if they don't, at that point, I'm going to have to decide where to go from there. And one thing that's been said that, for some reason, as a criticism, I don't find it to be one myself, uh, mm -hmm. is that you, anytime Jacobs is going to be on a radio program or whatever, that you send all mm -hmm. your material to these various websites and you know podcasts, mm -hmm. radio stations, what have you, uh, to try mm -hmm. to smear him or warn them about him. Um, and so mm -hmm. I'll ask you if you do that, I guess, but I'll preface it by mm -hmm. saying that that's not how you came to our attention. I actually read about your case mm -hmm. on Kim Carlsberg's website, and then right. yeah. I don't remember if I got in contact with you first or you got in contact with me yeah, after I had mentioned it. But, yeah. Yes, but that's what happened. So you didn't come spamming us with your stuff. Uh, is that yeah. something that you do? Do you seek out wherever um, he's going to be next and then get get ahead of him? For a period, for a period I did. I, if he was going to be speaking either before or after the show, I would write to them and say <clears throat> that I was one of his former research subjects and I attached um, the text of a page on my website about the hybrid instant messaging. And I'd say that um, I felt that his research was unethical, just so that they would have the other side of the story, because he was, these radio shows were presenting him to the UFO community and, and, and the people who listened to the shows as a very ethical, um, scientifically rigorous expert researcher um, and that his research was very trustworthy and, and, and it's sort of affecting how people view the phenomenon when in actual fact, in my opinion, he is a very abusive, psychologically abusive researcher um, and his methodology is so 
flawed that um, his, his theories and findings are, are completely unreliable and there's no one anywhere that I could see on the net that was able to, was ever was saying that or had the knowledge um, or the ability to be able to say it. And I think it's important because he's promoting this very um, prestigious researcher and he's promoting a theory which is taken on board by a lot of people um, assuming that it's done um, in a very rigorous manner and a very ethical manner. Um, and I think it's just important that people in the field know the reality behind it, which is, is a very different story. So, yeah, and I was aware that some people would wonder why I was doing it and I was aware that he would immediately present it to them as though I was, you know, whatever. But I just decided to do it anyway because there's no, there was no one else. There's, there's no other dissenting voice. Sure. Um, and it's so important. Well, let me ask this, Emma. Um, in terms of the aftermath for you of this, we had um, Dr. Scott Lillenfeld on the show yeah. some, yeah. some uh, weeks back. And one of the things that he brought up, and, I, and I've talked against regression hypnotherapy since probably 91, 92, somewhere in 1990, when I looked into it and found out that I didn't, I didn't put any stock whatsoever in, uh, in recovered memories from regression hypnotherapy. Yeah. And one of the things that I came across was exactly what Scott had said on this show, which was that when someone goes through this process that – it is a danger that the therapist is actually changing who that person is because they're actually rewriting memories in some way or creating memories in some way that are every bit as real yeah. as a real conscious memory. Yeah. For you, in the aftermath of all this, do you have any long-lasting or still present issues uh, from this uh, and from what uh, yeah. you allege was done to you? Do, do, are you still feeling that uh, now? I mean, is it beyond stress? Mm-hmm. Uh, we can forget stress. Everybody's got stress. We all deal with that. Mm-hmm. But for you, are you, uh, yeah. uh, are you dealing with anything else besides that that, it, that seems to be a result from this? Oh, yeah. I mean, I have those memories. Um, I, for, um, David gave me post-hypnotic suggestions that I'd forget a lot of the memories, so um, I forgot large chunks of them but a lot of them I do remember and they're still there um, and they're part of my memories of my life and, and I've realised that I'll never I have no way of undoing them they are my life and I have all these memories of interactions with hybrids and um, you know the, the whole thing it, it's all there One of the hypnosis session tapes that you sent to us um, was basically of a sexual assault on you by a hybrid. Mm -hmm, So when you say that you have these memories still, do do you Mm -hmm. feel, I mean, do you go through the motions of feeling as though you've been raped by Mm -hmm. a person or, you know, all of that emotion, emotional baggage, Mm -hmm. does that go with it? Do you still have that Mm -hmm. in you? Yeah. And and the memories still come back to me. They they come back to me the same as life memories, all of them. Um, um, one example is there's an area of coastline where I live and every time I drive past there, um, I have this visceral response to it um, because under hypnosis, I remember the hybrid taking me down and pushing my head under the water and I was thinking I was going to drown. And that memory is so 
real to me that I even feel it on a physiological level when I go past that area. So yeah, the memories are all there and uh, and they come to, to my mind. And sometimes I find myself thinking about it and remembering, you know, walking through a house with a particular hybrid or something and then, oh yeah, that, that didn't happen and things like that. So it's quite strange. <laughs> like I know that they're not real, but they are part of my life. Um, but your but your saving grace in that is that likely from what I gather from what you said, your saving grace in that is that you believe that that's likely, in fact, more than likely not true memories mm-hmm. that you real yeah. you you're able to define those as, yeah, that's part of this subset of hypnotic relief retrieved memories that that in all likelihood are complete fabulation for you, confabulation to you, correct? Yeah, yeah. Here's a dumb question. Can't you just go to a hypnotist and have them take away these memories? <laughs> Erase them? <laughs> yeah. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> told told you. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, well, ha- how has it shaped, I mean, have you had experiences um, during the hypnosis time, and have you had experiences mm-hmm. after, and is there any bleed-through of what Jacobs gave to you for memories um with these experiences. I mean, we're talking legitimate. Yeah, legitimate experiences. experiences. I mean, has it has it influenced them at all or have you not had them? I don't I don't think so. No. No. I think I, I, my sort of what I think of as my normal anomalous experience have just sort of continued. So no, I don't think the hypnosis has really affected those. Well, do you like for the hybrids, right? I mean, some of this <laughs> is you seeing these these beings. Mm-hmm. So when you were thinking that you were seeing hybrids, was it, mm-hmm. for instance, the being in the cloak um, that you were just calling a hybrid, or were you seeing some other being entirely that was this hybrid? Um, the one that I saw in the cloak, I didn't have any concept of hybrid. I didn't even know about I didn't really have any concept of the abduction phenomenon or anything. So it, it was just somebody who was there. And I just later, when I was trying to work out what it was, I had no idea... And I, I was just running all, you know, it, it, it sort of, it worried me on and off for years, as to, you know, who it could have, what it could have been. But then I only started, I only really started knowing about hybrids when um, I became into communication with David, and it really became present in my awareness when I started having hypnosis with him. Have you seen a being since hip- hypnosis? Have you seen any of these beings? Um... No, my experiences now. Um, I, I've pushed, I've pushed them away. I've made peace with them in myself, but I've also pushed them away a lot. So I don't think about them or notice them a lot. But the things like um, you know flashes of light in the room, or um, I still wake up with marks on my body. I have sort of missing time. I had that a few days ago. But I, I I don't sort of put a lot of attention on it because. I'm trying to sort of keep it in a distance from myself. I don't record it now or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And you said that you are wanting to continue your research. What exactly is your mm-hmm. research that you want to continue? Basically, I have just had an enormous pile of data that I've collected over the years that I um, was recording my experiences. I have to collect a lot of physiological data to correlate with them and it's going to take me several years to get to put it all up on my website and then to analyze it so that's yeah i'm sort of hoping that one day i'll be able to go back to that 
Well, I have a question, Emma, that, that really deals, aside from all this mess that we've been talking about, on this show, we've, we've talked a lot about the focus of intent, uh, the thought patterns of having an experience and then being so fearful of it that you focus on it a little too much, which seems to bring on more experience. Mm-hmm. And I know how that sounds to a lot of people, and of course, I know how it sounds to skeptics is that people like you and I have it on the brain, and therefore... Of course, we're going to see things, but do you do you find that when and this is, could be throughout your life that when you paid more mm-hmm. attention to investigating this or or thinking mm-hmm. about it, that it seemed to manifest more in a very yeah. undeniable way to you? Yeah, I, yes. I really noticed that. Yeah. Okay. When I started, particularly in two thousand four, when I did a very detailed work and I had a you know, notebook with me all the time and I recorded everything. And I sometimes felt that the phenomenon was presenting stuff to me yeah. to um, record. Right. Yeah. Did it Did it ever um, – did you ever get on to kind of a theory or a thought and you thought, yeah, this could be what this is. This could be This could be a thread mm-hmm. that I could yank on. And then did you ever get any kind of responses like a yay or a nay um, from the mm-hmm. phenomena ever? I mean, I, I, I'll give you a for instance. I mean, we've talked on this show about uh, the, the use of psychedelic drugs and things like that and how there's similarities mm-hmm. between psychedelic effects and and what people yeah. perceive as an alien experience. And that's, it's not to say that yeah. it's not external and that it's not real, but that's yeah. just that there's similarities. And yeah. I know that when we got on a real uh, drive in that direction that I had an experience where I saw what looked like a fractal in front of my vision to which one of these beings seemed to be trying to climb out of. And that right. to me seemed to be kind of like a verification, like, yeah, you're kind of going the right way um, <laughs> yeah. or you're looking in the right spot or yeah, we could be here. Do you, do you yeah. find that kind of thing happens to you a lot or, or it does it seem um, to present in just completely weird and different ways? Um, yeah, it presents completely weird in different ways, but I also, I sometimes felt that, uh, I had one experience where um, I actually asked, <laughs> mentally asked the phenomenon to um, provide an experience that somebody else could witness um, just to see whether it would happen. And I made a sort of a bargain that I would do whatever it wanted in return <laughs> as long as it didn't hurt anybody else. Ouch, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, and then I was just like a couple of days after that, I was at a house in a friend's house, and um, we were in the lounge, and all of it, I was sitting with my back to the window, and he was sitting on, on the sofa, facing the window, and all of a sudden, I I just found myself turned around, looking out the window, and I won't tell you what I saw because I did an investigation of it, um, and it might identify me, so I'm really sorry about this, but we saw something which. Is not it's not explainable, <laughs> and then my friend also saw it, so that was that was quite interesting. So that was a direct that was almost a direct answer from that. I mean, yeah. In terms of in your ancestral uh, nationality, what mm-hmm. where, where would you say you fall in? I mean, are you Irish Celtic? Are you strictly? I mean, what um, where is where is your yeah. ancestral history? Um, yeah, um, English, Scottish, Irish, Welsh, Spanish Basque, yeah, sort of European. Okay. And, um, and this is another, another question that I've got to ask is, is, have you ever in your whole life 
Would you say that you've ever had a deep interest in the occult or have you ever practiced the occult in any way? What, and what I mean by that would be like any kind of like magical practice of what people call magical practice of Wicca or any of these things, um, Ouija boards, uh, any of that sort of been, stuff? Um, I haven't had a deep interest. But I have sort of, I tried the Ouija board. <laughs> right. Um, and um, my father was very into that. Oh, really? Okay. He did a lot. He was very interested in that. But he had a lot of experiences, and I think that he was looking for the answer. Through that, um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever had an IQ yeah. test at all? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I probably did when I was um, refusing to go to school. But I don't know what the result is. You don't know what the score was on it? No. I'd be curious what your score would be these days. I mean, um, that's another mm-hmm. thing that seems to come up over and over in all of this is the nationality, the... Um, I, I, any, I mean, again, this is not going to cast any light on, on you in a negative way. I mean, because God knows Jeremy and I have already casted the negative light upon ourselves on this very show by asking this question, but any, any history of psychedelics use with you or in no, your teenage no. years, any drugs or anything like that? No, I tried marijuana once. Right. Um, it had no effect on me, but I've never... I've never really liked the idea of being in a state like I don't drink. Um, I've never liked the idea of being in a state where I wasn't in control. Oh man, you sound like <laughs> me. <laughs> you sound just like me in that turn in that in that way because that's uh, that's exactly how I feel about it. This is the last question I got for you. I'm, I'm sure Jeremy has more, but um, we had asked you uh, in weeks prior, you know, if you would come on the show and and, and talk about this mm-hmm. whole situation and your own experiences. What made you come on tonight and want to do this? Um, I think it was the aftermath of the show that you did a couple of weeks ago. Um, and then, like, a lot of people were saying things on um, forums and so on. I just kind of realized that, um, a lot of people were, like, wondering about aspects of it. And um, I thought about going on the forums, but I, I didn't really want to because I didn't want to open myself up to being attacked by people who are very supportive of David because um, the, the whole process is actually something that's been quite um, painful for me. Sure, yeah. um, And I've had to sort of keep a barrier so that I can keep going. So I decided I would stay away from participating in forums. But I, I did want to be able to um, answer some of the questions that people were raising, and I thought it might be the best way of doing it. Well, well I, know, I know Jeremy has more questions, but I, I, I just want to thank you before we, we, uh, we end this. That uh, Thank you very much for coming on and, and talking with us, and I really appreciate it. Thank so, you. Jeremy, go ahead. Now, given the sum total of all your experiences, what do you, uh, you know, no one knows what this is, but what do you sort of think it is? Do you think there's a nuts and bolts alien presence that is doing genetic experiments, hybrids, et cetera, et cetera? Do you think, mm-hmm. or not? <laughs> do you think there's, it's more broad than that and not explainable? It's much more broad than that. I, I don't know. I'm still quite agnostic. I mean, I am agnostic about it. I think it maybe it's an experience that is, you know, it's part of the human condition. That probably people have had it for, you know, as far back as humans have been around, um, and that certain people seem to have it more. More a certain percentage of people seem to have it, um, and I think that it probably is all connected with. Um, sort of paranormal experiences and, and so on and so forth that we just sort of divided the experiences up into different boxes to try and get a handle on it. Uh-huh. But that probably we haven't really got a handle on it. Do you um, believe that these are beings with autonomy and with their own 
world or their own society, or do you think that they're projections of us or something I, unfathomable? I think that they, I mean, my own experience says that they are beings and that they're separate and they're there because that, the person who gave me the key kind of makes me think that. But I mean, I also know, well, I, I don't really know. <laughs> so I don't really know. I haven't, from my experience, they are real beings, but whether that is just a perception that I had or I, I don't really know. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just don't know. Uh, and just going back to when you used to, um, or perhaps you still do, uh, send out packets of information to people about David before mm-hmm. you'd go on their shows or their do their conferences, mm-hmm. what was, did you ever get a response from people? Was it positive, negative? Um, once I got a response from somebody, it was very short, he just said, um, that he would go through my website and he asked me if I was a hybrid and I actually <laughs> wondered whether that was why he wrote because I mean a few days later he introduced David as a sort of very ethical, strict scientific and ethical sort of protocol type thing so he obviously didn't you know, listen to anything that I've said and I never heard, heard any more so I wondered <laughs> what The hybrid sickness continues what an, oh This field just this field just never ceases yeah, it doesn't. To amaze it doesn't and, and depress. <laughs> it doesn't disappoint in that direction. Um, so who, what's your support system now? I mean, do you have a lot of friends who are supportive of you, family, uh, new oh, therapist? Yeah. I mean, how do you cope with all this? Because um, I imagine yeah, I it's tough very, being you right about now. It's tough, but I have a very loving family, um, and I have good friends, and, um, and the people that I disclosed this to are very supportive of me so that sort of got me through and my therapist is very supportive so they're my main support and also now that it's more public um, I have found the fact that um, Kim Carlsberg you know was prepared to talk about it and that, that the two of you are talking about it it's kind of made me feel like oh there are people in the UFO community who do have humanity and are real people and um, can see real issues, and quite a lot of people have emailed me and, and been very supportive and wished me well and stuff. So, and reading the forum column, the um, forum post, that's been you know really useful. So, I, I feel that I, I I do have quite a lot of support, which has helped me to get through it. <laughs> well, I think you're a, a brave woman, you know, and I I, I think. Uh... <laughs> You know, I, I, I'm hoping that you are the start of something big, which is people coming out and saying what they really think about about their hypnosis. Uh, with the, you know, mm-hmm. I, I imagine a lot of people are afraid to badmouth therapists, and I guess if someone like Bud Hawkins is sending emails like that as a response, mm-hmm. I imagine that's mm-hmm. kind of daunting or maybe scary. Um, Mm-hmm. Have you? Do you know of anyone else uh, in this type of situation who's like, yes, I want to come forward? Because I'm pretty sure you'd, you'd mentioned um, a man, right, yeah. who, who wants to remain anonymous yeah. for now. I mean, how yeah. interested is he in coming forward, and are there others um, that you know of? Um, I don't know of any others. I know that there are others who have been critical of David's work, but no one, the, the, the closest has been this young man, and he's given me permission to tell his story. Um, because he wants to help, but only on condition that um, I know his identity and he knows mine, but um, only on condition that I've never disclosed his identity and he doesn't want to come forward himself because I mean, he's in a very difficult situation himself. So um, that's as 
Yeah. Are you going to pursue this legally at all? And if so, are you then going to give your name? If I go down the legal route, I probably have to give my name. And it's something I've talked about with my family quite a bit. Um, We're going to wait and see um, what happens after the appeal with the OHRP. At that point, we're going to think about where we go from here. And do you want that for yourself? I mean, that that's it's a rigmarole. <laughs> yeah. It is a rigmarole. It's I another don't can know. of worms. Yeah, it is a rigmarole. It's, yeah, it, it, it's a huge thing. It would be... Are you prepared for that, or, or is that like a last resort sort of thing? That would be very much a last resort. So you're not even asking for financial compensation or anything like that. You're just asking no. for what? You just want to be acknowledged in an official yeah, capacity. I want, official, I want an official recognition it's accountability right you want accountability yeah yeah do you find it surprising that that david has uh, remained silent for all this time mm, not really i mean he's 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 remained silent publicly, but he's defaming me behind the scenes. <laughs> so he's kind of silent, but kind of not. Um, but he's doing it in such a way that what he says can't ever be upfront and answered by me. Um, and that doesn't really surprise me because he's been doing that you know, for years. So, I mean, there's nothing he can say, really. Well, we're up at the two-hour mark here, so I guess, uh, and thank you for staying on so long. Yes. Um, this has been great. But let me ask you, is there anything that we didn't cover that you want to say? Um, nope, that was about it. <laughs> we got it all. Excellent. <laughs> we got it all. Well, Emma, thank you. Thank you, thank you so much for uh, yes. for braving it out and, and coming on the show and, and all of that. No, thank you, and thank you for the support that you've given and for doing the show. Is it? Sure. It really doesn't mean a lot. Well, I'll, I'll make a, uh, I, I think I said this on, on uh, the last show that we did about you, Emma, that I think you're a first of what I think is going to be many. Um, I, I don't think you're going to be alone in this. Um, I, I think mm-hmm. that, I think much like you hesitated in, in, in coming out with this because of your own privacy issues and, and all mm-hmm. of that, I think, I think you're going to find out that there's more people that um, I, I don't want to always say weren't treated well, but at least are coming out and now saying, you know, I don't believe what I recalled under this stuff. I don't think mm-hmm. that this was done properly. Mm-hmm. I don't. You know, I think that I think we're going to see more people like you coming forward in the future. And I think that the reason, if I can, if I can give you this, if nothing else, um, mm-hmm. that part of the reason I think people are so resistant to even listen to you. And part of all of the venomous animosity towards you, I think, is not only, I don't know, like the hero worship of ufology that we we see some figurehead on TV talking for years. We go, wow, he seems really intelligent and sincere. She seems really mm-hmm. intelligent and, and, and really wants to get at the truth. And we, I think people kind of lay their bankroll on that person to really mm-hmm. give them the hard and true facts. I don't think it's only that. I think it's that as I've said before, this whole system of recovering memories from hypnosis and the way it's been put out by certain figureheads in this field have effectively painted the picture for people who don't have the experience of what it is. And it's not mm-hmm. accurate. Yeah. Uh, and that it, it's wholly inaccurate. And, and the fact that it's much more strange, much more bizarre is something that that often doesn't want to get addressed because it's too far fetched as it is to then add mm-hmm. in this high strangeness part of it, and uh, mm-hmm. and we've been calling for a while that 
all of these elements have to get put out. So when you come out with what you're saying, it's essentially tearing down years of previously conceived notions based on a faulty practice. And I think no one is willing to admit that uh, because the bankrolls have been laid. And now that big hook is coming across the backgammon table saying, you lose, <laughs> you know, and nobody wants mm-hmm. that. So, I mean, I think, um, yeah. I, I think you should know that, uh, that that's probably a lot of it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't think that, I don't yeah. think it's going to be easy thing to turn this, this field turns around about as easily as a Sherman tank. So, um, you know, the only thing I can say yeah. is that, you know, we're going to do our part in trying to bring more f- professionals to this table to talk about how potentially dangerous this stuff is and, and yeah. more about it. So uh, you're, you're definitely not alone in the aspect of that. So are we done? Thank God. That's been- <laughs> Sweet <laughs> We're done. And if you want to learn more about Emma Woods, her case, listen to her tapes, check out her documents, you can visit www.ufoalienabductee.com. That's all one word. ufoalienabductee.com. And Jeff and I will have a lot more to say about this and some other perhaps related things next week. Take care.